Well, this morning we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19, and then verses 29 through 34. We're going to save the middle section there for next week. And uh, we are continuing our deep dive into the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection by going through the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul wrote. And then you can find our passage on page 961 in the Pew Bible. I'll also bring the text up on the screen. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But, there, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be, to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good mortals. Good morals. Uh, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So as a parent of six children, I have been subjected to many, many, many hypothetical questions that usually begin with, what if dot, dot, dot. Now, Some what-if questions can be a meaningful exploration, experimentation of thought where you gain some insight. Other times, it is a never-ending descent into madness as the conversation becomes increasingly untethered from reality. But Paul here is dealing with a what-if question, too. What if there is no resurrection. Not just what if Jesus wasn't resurrected, but what if resurrection is not possible for anyone at all? Now, Paul is speaking to some people in the church in Corinth who, while they claim to believe in Jesus, who was raised from the dead, said that they themselves did not believe that resurrection was a thing, that resurrection was going to happen. Now, these likely would have come from two different camps, and we talked about this previously, that, uh, that these, uh, they could have been converted Sadducees 
um, because the Sadducees believed uh, in an eternal disembodied state. Um, so there, was, there would be no resurrection because you essentially be bodiless souls for all eternity. <clears throat> or these are converted Gentiles who are coming from the Roman Greek background, uh, theology of, uh, from, the, from the myths, the, 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 the Greek myths that said that uh, resurrection was impossible because when you die, you go to Hades and you don't come back out and you don't get to be resurrected. And, uh, and, so, uh, we need to see, and so we need to see here um, that uh, also that it's not just that there are some people in Corinth that didn't believe in resurrection, is that not only did they not believe in resurrection, they were still claiming to be faithful Christians without believing in resurrection. They were saying we're still followers of Christ without believing in resurrection. And so, and, and so they confess faith in the Savior Jesus, but they deny resurrection. And there are versions of the same thing today. There are individuals, there are groups, there are congregations who uh, are attempting to have Christianity without resurrection. As we saw last week, resurrection is a fundamental uh, it, it is, um, aspect of the gospel. It cannot be separated out of the gospel without destroying the gospel. Yeah, it, would, it would be essentially trying to drive your car without an engine. But Paul says, okay, but now that I've laid out the particulars of the gospel, that the gospel is about Jesus Christ who, was, who died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, who was buried in the tomb and then three days later was raised from the dead according to the scriptures and was confirmed as resurrected by many witnesses prior to the ascension of Christ and one Paul after the ascension of Christ. But he says, hey, let's, let's run with this thought. What if there is no resurrection? And from these musings, we could call them, we find out that, that if there is no resurrection, then as people who profess to be Christians, if there's no resurrection, then we ought to despair. And essentially everything from the Christian perspective, from the Christian li- view of life, is pointless. So, uh, and so we'll deal with each of those. So first is, uh, first we deal with the reality that if resurrection is not true, um, uh, then, uh, then we ought to despair. And we see this in verses uh, 12 through 19. Uh, and, and so as we, in verses 12 through 18, Paul takes us through a, a list of seven terrible realities without the resurrection. So seven terrible realities without the resurrection. And I've got to, I'm going to bring them up here on the screen. And so if the resurrection is not true, uh, the, the first is that then Christ has not been raised. Right? That's number one. And that is, we would say, the chief problem with saying that the resurrection itself is not true. Uh, it means that uh, this would mean that Jesus died, that he was laid in a tomb, and presumably he's still laying there. Now, we talked about problems with that theory uh, because it's, his body wasn't there or else the Romans and the Jews would have produced it very quickly. But that if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is still in the tomb. And let's just be honest. How, what good is a dead Messiah? How can the Christ help anyone 
if the only movement he's making is from rigor mortis to decay, right? He's not doing much for anybody. If Christ has not been raised, then this sets off a whole chain of problems for the church. Now, this uh, we're going to get into detail uh, more positively next week uh, about the significance, but the resurrection of Jesus is not just kind of a cool trick. Um, it's not even a, a, a neat miracle like healing a leper or resuscitating the dead in, in, in the case of Lazarus. The resurrection of Jesus means the beginning of the entrance into the promised new age that was promised back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. The resurrection of Jesus means that what Christ has done, he will complete in his people. But if the resurrection is true and Christ is not raised, well, then that raises the immediate, prob- immediate problems because that means none of that is happening. And it also raises immediate problems for guys like Paul or preachers like me, Paul says, because he says if Christ is not raised, if there is no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. Now, that word vain means empty, hollow, without substance. And if you're, put, and if you're putting forward something as true, then it is also false, Right? And and notice that Paul defines substantive preaching as that which is founded upon and flows from the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, all preaching is empty and vain. This doesn't mean that we preach about the resurrection all the time, but it means that the resurrection of Jesus grounds Christian preaching. Because preaching is showing Christ from the Word of God. Preaching is not giving a theological or a biblical lecture. You know, it's, it is, preaching is showing Jesus to people from the Word of God. And without the resurrection, preaching becomes hollow and vapid. Third, uh, he, uh, he says that if resurrection is not true, then your faith is in vain. That same word there. That, because faith is trusting in that which we cannot see, but we have certainty of expectation through the promises of God, and especially in Jesus Christ. Because our faith is not in things, but fundamentally our faith is in the person of Jesus. Our faith is not in David our faith is not in the Apostle Paul. Our faith is not in uh, any, any of the biblical characters, Abraham or Moses. Our faith is certainly not in the preacher. Heaven help us if that was the case. Our faith is in Jesus Christ because he is raised from the dead. Faith that trusts in a dead person who's still dead is a dead faith. Living faith lives because the object of that faith lives. Not because we have a vivacious faith, but because the object of our faith gives it life. If Jesus Jesus isn't alive, then what are we trusting in? 
Are we trusting in the goodness of humanity? Are we trusting in eventual, inevitable progress? I would submit to you that progress is not always a guarantee, and progress is often not what we think it is, and it's not always good. To put it another way, if the tomb is not empty, then our preaching and our faith are. Even more, Paul says, preachers misrepresent God. It would mean that I am misrepresenting God. That anyone who shares the gospel is misrepresenting God. He says, because what is it that we are preaching all the time? What is it that we base our preaching on? Go read the book of Acts. What's their preaching all about in the book of Acts? It's about the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter's, uh, Paul is saying that, look, you know, him, Peter, John, James, any of the apostles, he says, if Christ isn't raised, then we are lying about God. We are misrepresenting uh, God. And notice how this again assumes that the resurrection was a part of the good news of the gospel from the very beginning. The resurrection of Jesus is not a legend or a myth that was added later to bump up Jesus' cred for the church. The resurrection has always been at the beginning. The gospel exists because the resurrection happened. If resurrection is false, then preachers are saying something about God the Father that is untrue. And if that is the case, why should anyone listen to anything else we have to say? If I'm lying about the basic things about God, why in the world would you listen to me about anything else? I mean, would you want a mechanic who didn't understand how an engine worked? He was like, I mean, he could tell you I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, but that ain't going to mean you're going to go to him. You're like, ha ha, give me my keys. I'm leaving. (laughs) All right, I'm going to take this to someone who knows what they're talking about. Fifth, Paul says that your faith is futile if the resurrection is not true. Now, futility and vanity are not the same thing. This is why Paul makes a separate statement. Uh, It's related to something being vain. Vain is about substance. Futility is about effectiveness of function. If there is no resurrection, then your faith as a Christian is a waste of time and energy and resource. When we watch movies or shows that tell us it doesn't really matter what we believe, only that we believe it strongly, one, They lie. They don't mean that. They don't mean that. I guarantee it. But it it doesn't make any sense at all. Because here we would actually agree with atheists. We would agree with unbelievers who are hostile to Christian theology and faith. Because, Because if there is no resurrection, then what we are doing right here, right now, this morning, is a complete waste of time. It is, all right? We're all tired. We'd like a little extra sleep. That's okay, you know? Like, I get it, you know? But, but we're here, be, why? Because the resurrection is true. That's why we're worshiping here this morning. That's why we want to hear the word of God. That's why we want to know. That's why we're, we're here, because the resurrection is true. Number six, Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, then you are still in your sins. 
And that's serious. Paul doesn't say if the resurrection isn't true, then there is no morality. We're all free to determine good and evil for ourselves. He says, no, there's still a God. There's still justice. There's still wrath. And that means that we are still in our sins. Our sins are not paid for. It's not all good. There's still morality. There's still good and evil. There's still the coming judgment. But without resurrection, then there is no forgiveness of sin because Christ failed Perhaps he failed because he wasn't as sinless as we thought he was. Or perhaps he wasn't able to save because he was only a man. But here we see the implied understanding of the substitutionary nature of Christ's death. He died for our sins. But without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. And Jesus' death was for nothing. This pushes back against an old notion that Jesus died to give us a good example only or primarily. That Jesus died simply to show us the love of God. And just like, look, as a bare act, a father killing his son on a cross is not an act of love. Just as a bare fact, if a human father was to crucify his own son physically, he would be a monster. Right? The act in itself is not glorious, good, or loving. But the fact that the Son volunteered to die in our place, that the act was an act of judgment for sin, and that the Father sacrificed the Son, the Son sacrificed Himself in accordance with the will of the Father, this is a substitutionary act of love because it was God the Father and God the Son doing it in the name of justice and love. Without the resurrection, the cross becomes just an expression of sentiment. And we need more than sentimentality to overcome the last problem that Paul gives us, which is that those who have died have truly perished. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised, then death remains an an inexorable enemy. An enemy that cannot be beaten. It means that all the euphemisms we use when people die, they go on to a better place. Uh, They're doing this or that or whatever. We come up with these kind of fanciful scenarios for what people are doing after they die. It's like if somebody's in mourning, I'm not going to correct them, but, uh, but it's just, but we'll come up with these things. It's like, based on what? Based on what do we do this? It's, it's you know, it, it, they don't mean anything without the resurrection. They are actual, uh, basically things we're just saying to make ourselves feel better. Because if there is no resurrection, then there, then there is no hope beyond the grave. And those who have died have truly perished. Death is not a door into glory, life, and joy. Without the resurrection, death is dark, terrifying, and horrific end from which no man can escape. And this leads us to Paul's hopeless conclusion. Such a cheery sermon today. Hopeless conclusion. Verse 19. If there is no resurrection, Paul says, then Christians are, to, are most to be pitied. 
If the Savior is false, if preaching is a lie, if faith is a waste of time, if sin retains its power over us, if only judgment awaits us, if death is still the victor, then what in the world are we doing? Now, Paul has already stated the reality of the resurrection, that the resurrection is true. He's going to reaffirm that as an explicit fact in verse 20, which we will look at next week. But here he is disabusing people of the notion that they can, as I said earlier, drive a car without an engine. That you can can be a Christian without believing in resurrection. he's, He's making the point, it's it's pointless to do so. There are a number of things that Christians can disagree about without faith coming apart. There's a whole host of them. But the resurrection generally, and the resurrection of Christ specifically, is not one of those things. Because if there is no resurrection, then we ought to despair. Because if we're denying the resurrection, we're essentially cutting off the branch that we're sitting on. Right? We're taking ourselves down. And we ought to despair if we despair of resurrection. Because our faith is wasted. We have no hope. And if that's the case, if there is no resurrection, then what is the point? And here we get into verses 29 through 34. And Paul here in these verses gives us three practical questions. To, to, that, that if there is no resurrection, he gives us three practical questions. And so uh, the first question is a question of practice. And it's a very confusing question of practice, uh, which, uh, which is, um, why are people baptized for the dead if there is no resurrection? Now, uh, um, good night if this is not a confusing question. Because there is no reference to baptism for the dead in early Christian practice or in the New Testament. This is the only reference of it here in the Bible. Uh, there, there are no early church writings that explain what it is. Nobody did this. So uh, one scholar noted that 40 different theories have been floated um, to explain what this passage means. I read one scholar that boiled it down to a, a succinct 13 theories with uh, sub-theories within them, like 13A, you know, that kind of thing. That's when people are just trying to say, oh, I only have 13. And they're like, it's like when a pastor, when a pastor says, I only have two points. My first point has 13 sub-points. All right, and you're just like, okay, I got to eat, man. Uh, all right, and so, uh, and so I'm gonna, what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you two, okay? Give you two. <laughs> I'm going to give you two of the, the, the basically the most, um, bas- uh, that, that scholars feel are the most likely options, scenarios here. And so, uh, so one is that baptism on behalf of the dead is a reference to people who wanted to be baptized because of the faithful testimony of a Christian relative through whom they came to faith. And the idea of the baptism for the dead kind of is that I came to faith because of my, the faith of my dead relative, and I want to make sure I'm baptized because I want to make sure that I join them in the afterlife and we can be reunited together. So that's one theory. Um, the second theory uh, or option here is that, uh, that some have come to faith in Christ, but they died before they could be baptized. And so, they were, and so in order to... 
um, give them the, sa- the sacrament, uh, that there were people who volunteered to be baptized in their name, basically in memory of them, in honor of them. So that way this person who came to faith and perhaps was killed through persecution or something could have the rite of baptism even posthumously. Um, now, I give you those two options. I'm not saying they're good options, all right? But those are the best options that we have. Now, if I was going to, if I had to pick one, you're like, you know, you put a gun to my head and I'm like, you know, make me pick for some like, you really care about this issue. Uh, but number two, uh, I'm, I would probably go with the second one. But again, I'm just, I'm like 60-40 on that one, all right? I'm just kind of like, it's just, it's not, it's not a doctrine I'm going to die for. You know, that's what I mean. You know, like that's not, it's not something that uh, I would be, I could be changed my mind if new evidence comes to light or we figure something else out. But um, regardless of which option you go with, we should note several things. One, that Paul is not saying this is a widespread practice that, it, it, that he's personally endorsing or something that churches should be doing or else he would say that and we would find it in other places like he does with preaching and singing and, and gathering together and prayer. Like he talks about those things repeatedly. He explains what those things are. So there's no need for us to go and be like, oh, well, we need to figure out baptism of the dead and start doing it. Okay. So um, now uh, he's simply highlighting here how even this practice, whether it was a good practice or not, this practice in, in the Corinthian church was still based upon the idea of resurrection, on the truth of the resurrection, that those who trust in Jesus will share in his resurrection in the end, and baptism is a sign of that. And so they cared about the resurrection so much that they were even giving the sign of the baptism to those who had died before they could be baptized. If there is no resurrection, then baptism for the dead makes even less sense, is what Paul's saying. Okay? So there's this very practical, even albeit confusing question of practice that if there is no baptism, then why in the world are you all doing what you're doing, is what he's saying. Then there's a question of ministry. He says, if there is no resurrection, then why are we constantly in danger doing ministry, planting churches, serving the Lord? Paul and his fellow servants are constantly in danger, such that he says he dies every day for their sake. He serves them for the sake of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, who is the Lord. He calls him Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is neither Christ nor Lord, and the Christians and all the sacrifices that Paul is making are for nothing. And then, finally, a question of suffering. If, he says, if there is no resurrection, he says, then what in the world do I gain for suffering for the faith? If there is no hope after death. If, this, if we only have hope in this life only, then what in the world do I gain for suffering? Suffering becomes pointless, meaningless. And that's actually one of the beautiful things about being a Christian, is that there is no pointless suffering in the Christian life. That death is not the sorrowful end. That death becomes the translation moment of your existence here into your existence in heaven. And then ultimately in the kingdom of God with a resurrected body. But when Paul stood up for the faith against either actual beasts, uh, um, which he means metaphorically, uh, I mean, which he means literally, or metaphorical beasts, which he refers to as persecutors, <coughs> he was suffering for the sake of resurrection. 
in the resurrection of Christ. When Paul stood before the Jews in chains, he said, I am in chains for the sake, the hope of resurrection. If there, if there is no resurrection, then Paul's sufferings and the sufferings of every Christian martyr are pointless. They're an absolute waste. And so these three questions bring Paul to the point where he can't seem to kind of take it anymore. And he kind of goes on to express this, uh, what we call a self-deceiving thought in verses 32 to 33. Because if there is no resurrection, thus no hope after death, then he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, I've read some, and I was convinced initially years ago that, um, that eat and drink um, simply meant to live a generically moral life, um, often uh, in line with what the ancient Stoics taught. But, uh, but Plutarch, the ancient biographer, um, he wrote that this phrase uh, actually means to lead a dissolute and empty life. So kind of the opposite of that. And uh, kind of like St. Augustine's life before he was St. Augustine. Right before he became a Christian, right? Uh, so, uh, so Paul counters this thought um, not even with Scripture, but he actually quotes a play from a Greek playwright named Menander, who lived in the fourth century BC, and his point is simply saying that even unbelieving Gentiles don't live like that. Bad company corrupts good morals. Even even unbelieving Gentiles believe that morality matters in life. And this speaks to even the, the, the necessity of the resurrection. And he concludes his thought experiment in verse 34 with basically a very strong wake-up call. To live as if there is no moral, moral accountability before God. To live as if there is no hope beyond the grave in the resurrection of Jesus is like living in a drunken stupor. And so Paul says that we need to wake up. And to sober up to the reality of the resurrection, the truth of our faith, and the moral demands that it makes upon our lives. Otherwise, he says, we have no knowledge of God and to our own shame. Without the resurrection, we have no knowledge of God. Because the resurrection is not only the foundation of our hope, it is also the motivation of our morality why we seek after holiness and justice and seek to love one another sacrificially. So without the resurrection, Paul says we would despair as the church. We would despair of life because it would have no meaning. And we don't need to rush past that, okay? It's another Sunday. It's another sermon. That's my temptation to do it too. But if we take Paul seriously here, even if we believe him or we don't believe him about the resurrection of Christ. We are talking about crucially important things. This isn't just pedantic, hypothetical thought experimentation that Paul's doing here. We're talking about what gives us hope when we lay down our heads at night, when we open our eyes in the morning, what gives us comfort when we or our loved ones are in pain and hurting, when, when the body of our beloved goes cold. When things seem impossibly broken in the world. And we can't even see a way out in this life. The resurrection matters. It matters because the resurrection 
of Christ especially brings light to our darkness. Light to the darkness of even our own graves. It is the resurrection of Christ that transports us at the moment of our death to the throne room of God. And raises us ultimately to life in union with our blessed Savior in the kingdom of God. The resurrection of Jesus, which is also our resurrection, our promised and future resurrection, is the very beating heart of the love of God in our souls. The promise that we will be together forever in in light and joy. It is also the present call for us to walk by faith and obedience and holiness. What if the resurrection isn't true? Well, thank the Lord that it is. And we'll learn more about that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have that certain hope of resurrection. And Lord, we pray that we would deal honestly and sincerely with Christ and with the doctrine of the resurrection. And that it is fundamental to what it means to be a believer. Because if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. There is no actual reason to pray. There is no guarantee that you would hear our prayers. There is no promise beyond the grave. But we praise you, Lord, that there is resurrection. That Christ is raised from the dead. And therefore, all the promises of the gospel are yes in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we do have that hope And that comfort, that peace that transcends all understanding, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. And Lord, we pray that we would indeed rejoice in the resurrection of Christ. The hope that you give us in him. And Lord, may we give you glory and praise as we walk by faith and obedience and holiness. Because of, in light of the resurrection of our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.